Today, we continue working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And what we just sang about comes out so powerfully here in the Gospel of Luke, in the work of Jesus Christ. We'll be reading together from Luke chapter 5, the verses 12 to 26, focusing especially on the verses 17 to 26. So at this point in time, Jesus is in the region of Galilee, that's the northern end of Israel. You'll have the Sea of Galilee on the north end there, and then the Jordan River coming down to the Dead Sea. Well, the region of Galilee is right there near the Sea of Galilee. And we know from Mark chapter 2 that Jesus is in the little town of Capernaum at this point in time, this certain city that Luke refers to. Capernaum had been his home base during this time while he was preaching throughout the region of Galilee. We see Jesus acting in this first section and we see him declaring in this second. He's acting about his, uh, speaking about his willingness to clean and we see him declaring the forgiveness of sins in the second section. And so these two passages are closely tied together. We'll begin at Luke chapter 5, verse 12 to 16, and then 17 to 26. And it happened when he, that is Jesus, was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. So here we see something already standing out about Jesus that he touches, he reaches out his hand and he touches this leper. And instead of himself becoming unclean like would be the natural order, this man instead becomes clean and he's healed and he goes to the priest to make an offering. However, the report went around concerning him all the more and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And we come to the passage that's our focus today. Now, it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold... Men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, 
Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. The focus, the text for today is, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has just finished another preaching tour in Galilee. From the Gospel of Mark, we know he's returned to the town of Capernaum and he's entered into a home there. And the house that he's staying in is likely the house of Simon the fisherman where he stayed before. The house is packed and people weren't even able to get to him because of the crowd. Like all homes in the ancient world, the one belonging to these men would have been fairly small. It's, it's not like we have today where people come home from work, they enter into their garages, they close their doors, and they do all of their living inside of their homes, not even really saying hello to their neighbors, just turning on the TV. But in their day, life was mostly done outdoors. Judging by the elders was done in the city gate. Selling goods was done in an open-air marketplace. Work was done in the fields or out on the water. Houses, because of this, were not really meant to host large groups of people. You just came in there and you slept and maybe had a couple of animals on the main floor. So when Jesus talked to a crowd in this house, it was packed. Now imagine the frustration of the friends of the paralytic. Having carried their paralyzed friend, they would have been dusty and tired. And then they come to the house and no one will move out of the way for them carrying this big load. People are standing shoulder to shoulder. Now, a single stronger man might have been able to squeeze his way in between the broad shoulders of carpenters and fishermen. A brave man might even have pushed aside the scribes and the teachers of the law who were gathered there. But a group of four men carrying a burden? There was not a chance that they'd be able to get through. But even so, they had hope. Hoisting their friend onto the roof, they begin to dig their way through, stripping back the tiling. What a commotion that must have been. Dust and pieces of roofing raining down into the house, the anger of the owners of the house that their roof is being pulled apart, and yet they carry on. They carry on because they have hope. They carry on because they have faith in the man who we saw in the passages before this, showed his authority over demons, demonstrated his authority as the Lord of health, 
and demonstrated that it was by his will that people became clean. They knew that although they were risking much, they were lowering their friend down to the man who gave him a hope for a new life. What would Jesus do in response? Today we'll see this under the following theme and points. Jesus makes plain his power to forgive sins. And we'll see, first of all, a word which will spread. Second, the greater need. And finally, confirmed with a miracle. This was an event that would spread all over Israel. At this point, Jesus had... Jesus' name had just become to get big. Earlier in the book of Luke, you can see how he began his ministry. He was a simple carpenter preaching his inaugural sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. While he was there, he declared to the world how he was coming in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy to declare the good news to the poor, set free the captives and more. He wasn't well received. The people had, in fact, tried to throw him off of a cliff. But things had changed since then. Each step that Christ had taken over the months since then, each moment in the Gospel of Luke, he has begun to reveal a greater and greater part of his ministry here on earth. This began in Capernaum, where he was received with open arms. In his preaching to the towns and villages around, he'd been eagerly heard. But more than that, his miracles. His miracles. Why, not too long ago, the crowd would have heard that he had touched a leper, and instead of becoming unclean himself, the leper had been healed. Because of this, news had traveled far and wide. And Pharisees and the teachers of the law started to take an interest in him. And this wasn't just a few that came from here and there. This wasn't just a couple of representatives that were sent out. There were men, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law who came to hear him from every town of Galilee, the region to the north where he had been preaching and teaching. But not just Galilee, from Judea and even from Jerusalem itself. Jerusalem where the Sanhedrin, the religious council that ruled much of the people's lives met. Jerusalem, where the temple itself stood. Jerusalem, where you found the beating heart of Judaism. These were the men who are standing packed in with the disciples of Jesus, these fishermen and these local villagers. Anything that happens here will be carried back across the whole Jewish countryside. It'll be the talk of every village, every town and city in Judea and in Galilee, in Jerusalem itself. And it's at this moment that Jesus chooses to show the whole nation of Israel one more part of who he is and why he's come to earth. In fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah that started his preaching tour here in Galilee, He has come not just to preach the gospel to the poor, but to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty the oppressed. 
All of these teachers would have been familiar with his claim. They would have known what it meant. They knew their Bibles. They would have absolutely no question seeing it that he was fulfilling his prophecy, this prophecy. But the question was, what would they do in response to that? What would they do when they saw this prophecy fulfilled before their very eyes? Would they take the good news of the kingdom with them wherever they went around the Jewish countryside? Well, it's at this point that the paralytic enters in. And this brings us to our second point. As Jesus is speaking with these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, and he's teaching his disciples and the crowds, you see these four friends carrying their fifth to meet with Jesus and they've heard of his miracles. They believe that Jesus can help them. Luke writes, Jesus saw their faith, and their faith moved him deeply. Jesus was one who looked beyond what other people saw on the outside. He had plenty of seemingly pious men sitting around him and listening to his words. These would seem to be men who were full of faith, men from all of the cities around, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law. But he knew the skepticism that lived in their hearts. Jesus knew their unbelief. He also knew that he wasn't on earth for those who refused to believe. He had come for the sick, the lost and the blind. He came to heal broken people and broken lives. People who refused to see their own brokenness found no value in him. But brothers and sisters, pay attention here. Those who see their need, those who believe, who were willing to go to great lengths to get to him, who who broke through the roof when no other option was available to them. Those were the ones who found Christ, their greatest treasure on the other side. Those are the ones who find their healing in him. Christ does you no good if you don't truly understand your own need. And you can see this in this passage as we find it today as well. This passage here becomes just one more story on forgiveness. Not even super interesting compared to some of the other ones, some of the other events that we've seen happening here with his more miraculous healings, you might think, from the leper and from the other things that have happened. But for those who see their deepest need, this revelation, this next step that Jesus takes, this declaration that he makes is the most beautiful thing that they could lay their eyes on. Before Jesus Christ does anything else, he meets this man's greatest need. He looks at him in love and he says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. 
Remember the leper in the verses right before this? To whom Jesus had said, I am willing, be clean. The leper had been just a picture of what happened when people were caught in lives of sin. And Jesus, declaring to this man that he was both willing and able to be clean, was just a picture of the true power that he really had. But he had wanted that picture to sit in their hearts for a little while. Now he comes out and he declares to them. There Jesus Christ was just implying that he was able to make clean, and he backed that up by healing the leper. To be clean was just the picture of being right with God, but here Jesus goes one step further. He doesn't just give the picture of being right with God. He forgives. Man, your sins are forgiven you. This was this man's greatest need. This is the greatest need that all of us have. We don't need, first and foremost, a rescue from our situations. Although we do look to the Lord for deliverance from these as well, there's no question about that. But our greatest need is our Savior. Don't downplay this when you read this passage. Don't downplay this. This is the next big revelation in the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is the moment when Jesus declares his power and his authority. This is the moment when we ourselves are able to recognize and be reminded once again that Jesus Christ forgives us, that he is willing and that he is able. Have you come to recognize your need before the Lord, beloved? Have you come to recognize your need? Then this declaration of Jesus is beautiful to you, don't let it lose its savor. Don't let it lose its preciousness. If there is nothing else that you can take away, let it be that you hold this as precious. In Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven you. What beautiful, sweet words these are. Brothers and sisters, look at the love with which our Lord addresses this child of God. He looks into this man's eyes, looks into his soul, and he sees a real need and brokenness. The crowd just saw a paralytic, one more of crowds of demon-possessed people and sick people that have been brought to Jesus for healing. But Jesus saw this. He had been preaching a gospel of repentance and forgiveness, of liberty, of being set free. He was surrounded by a crowd that didn't completely understand this. But there were some over the course of his preaching among them that had come to understand in some small part, and they believed. 
either having heard it personally or having heard it through others. This man and his friends had paid good attention to that message. They had faith that their friend could find not just healing, but the good news of the gospel with Jesus Christ. And it's because of their faith that Jesus looks to them and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now take a moment to see how the crowds took this. Jesus came with the gospel of repentance. The paralytic responded in faith, having heard the word of God, having had the Holy Spirit work in his heart to convict him. And Jesus forgave his sins. But this statement of forgiving sins, saying, your sins are forgiven you, the question could arise, well, maybe we're understanding this wrong. Was Jesus just stating a fact? Was he just pointing out that God had forgiven this man's sins? The crowds of religious leaders certainly didn't think so. They responded, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And from Jesus' reply, we can see that there really was no other way to take what he said. He didn't intend it simply as a statement of fact. He confirms their suspicions in verse 24 here, saying, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. What a statement. No wonder the Pharisees were angry. He was claiming authority to forgive sins. Now, of course, a Jesus being anyone else, the scribes would have been right to be angry. We read in passages like Proverbs 17, verse 15, he who justifies the wicked, that's saying that a wicked man is righteous, even if he's actually not. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. And in Proverbs 24, verse 24, whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, peoples will curse him and nations denounce him. If Jesus had been like anyone else, they would have had a right to be angry. But we have more revealed to us than they. We see the full scope of Jesus' life and death on the cross for sinners. We have seen the payment for sin. We've seen salvation that can be found in him. Anyone else would be unjust in declaring a sinful man righteous. But as we read in Romans 3, verse 21 to 24, now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that is, declared righteous, freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The scribes were right. God alone can justify the ungodly and forgive the sinner. That's why the Father sent Jesus Christ to satisfy justice and to die in our place. We ourselves can't pay the price. We ourselves can't live lives that are good enough. 
That is why the judge came down from glory, left the bench, and took the judgment on himself instead. That is how he could have the authority to do what he did. Our Lord sees faith. He has publicly proclaimed not only that people need to repent, but also that they can come to him to receive healingness, to receive liberty, to receive forgiveness of sins in full. What an incredible gift. Christ has promised by his death that the barrier between us and God is lifted. Now we no longer need to stand sorrowing over all of our sins, but having confessed them to him, having repented, we can revel in the joy of a full, restored relationship between us and God, not by our own strength, but in the words of Romans 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Never again will we need to fear condemnation, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this brings us to our final point, confirmed with a miracle. You can almost imagine this moment of silence that would fall on the people after they hear such a shocking statement. Jesus forgave this man's sins? But shortly after he spoke these tender words of love and forgiveness, people started to murmur. And we see this response coming out, this response of skepticism, this response accusing him of blasphemy. And Jesus himself is well aware of this. And so he answered them and says, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Yes, Jesus brought them under the surgical knife. By showing them the man's brokenness and the man's faith, he showed them the real reason that he was on earth. Not just to heal physically, but to restore spiritually. What was their response? Some of them murmured and accused him of blasphemy. He showed these people the real brokenness in the world. It wasn't just physical, but it could be found in each one of them. Even as they rebelled, Christ cut away all of their pretenses, all of their pride in who they were, and he exposed the cancer that was on the inside, all the while showing them his love and his willingness to embrace them with open arms. Even here, we see Christ's patience towards them. Although they murmur, Jesus doesn't reject them. Even as they rebel, he gives them another proof, another chance to come to the one who brings healing. He gives them a sign. Christ says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? 
You see, Jesus was putting a dilemma in front of the teachers of the law. They could say, well, anyone can claim to forgive sins, and they would be right. In theory, anyone could say the words, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knew that the teachers of the law could quietly laugh that off. However, not anyone could heal someone. To miraculously heal, to receive divine power in doing this, this was something only those who had been messengers of God had been able to do in the past. This was a sign of God's favor. If only they had remembered their scriptures, then they would have seen that there was indeed one who did have authority to forgive sins, the Messiah. Again, looking at his opening sermon in Nazareth, he was the one anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives. The Messiah would do this. So in response to the skepticism of these teachers of the law, Christ rises to the occasion. Why do you ask these things? You've heard my words. You've seen my actions. And still you question. Why do you question? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. But so that they may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he faces the paralytic once again speaking in love. And once again, he liberates him from bondage. Once again, he shows his power. I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. There are no smoke machines. There is no crescendo of music as this man who for such a long time slowly and shakily rises to his feet at the applause of great crowds. No, immediately, without hesitation, he arises, picks up his bed, and he goes out, a walking, talking representation of Jesus Christ to heal the world of its brokenness in its entirety. That those who look to him in faith can find liberty, can find healing in him. And the teachers of the law had their answer. Both the forgiveness of sins and healing equally showed the presence of God's reign. One more aspect of Christ's kingdom reign here on earth was unfolded, and the fulfillment of Old Testament promises was coming to light in front of their very eyes. Both showed the power of God, just as certainly as Jesus Christ himself healed the paralytic, so certainly were this man's sins forgiven. The teachers of the law were left astonished. There was nothing more that they could say. Jesus had given his answer loud and clear. They had asked the question, who on earth can claim to forgive sins? And Jesus had firmly and confidently answered them, the Son of Man can. The Son of Man can. This reference to the Son of Man is one that's unmistakable. He was laying claim to the promise of the Son of Man in Daniel 7 on that day. 
the one to whom one day would be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He has authority. He has power. He is willing and able to forgive sins, having already paid the price that comes with them in full. They stood there. They heard the words. They heard the proclamation. And now they are going to separate again and spread to every town and village in Galilee to go back to Jerusalem, the beating heart of Judaism itself. And they were going to carry a message with them. The question is, what would they say? How would they respond to the person of Jesus Christ? The one who had the power and the authority to forgive sins. What were they to make of these words? What are we to make of these words? Having heard all this, beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, what's your response to the forgiveness of the paralyzed man and the healing proof that followed shortly after this? Is your response one of awe? Jesus Christ has just for the first time in the Gospel of Luke openly and fully declared his power to forgive sins. Are you filled with joy at the fact that you too stand forgiven because of Jesus Christ? Does this reflect in the way that you interact with those around you? What is the message that you carry with you in your life? You have heard the same news. What is the message that you carry with you? Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who forgives sins. He is the one who has the power and the authority to set free. And he is our king. Amen.